Welcome to Death is Everything. Hello. <laughs> uh, for the listeners, this is Tim. Tim, uh, I don't know if you share your last name or not, but it's Tim B. Yeah, I go by that just because that's what I am on Facebook. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Now, um, I met Tim through the Scatterbrain podcast. I heard your episode, uh, your episodes with them about your paranormal experiences, which was really cool. Um, and Tim is also in a band called Paroxysmal Butchering. Yes, ma'am. You Did got I it. Did I say that correct? Okay. Knocked out of the park. <laughs> Excellent. I am taking human anatomy right now. And so we learned about paroxys, peroxide, paroxysm. Yeah. <laughs> Tiny <Yeah, there's>... cells. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, so are you guys killing cells? Is it, um... Oh, no. Paroxysmal just means sudden, violent, or unexpected. And so... Okay. Yeah, and so it's just sudden, violent, unexpected butchering. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. I listened to some of your music. (laughs) (laughs) Might be the perfect name. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, So, so yeah, tell me a little bit about yourself, Tim. Um, Where are you from? I was born actually in uh, Norwalk, California during the Night Stalkers reign. Yeah. Um, My mom spent her entire pregnancy with me terrified that he was going to get her. (laughs) Wow. That is so funny you say that. Um, Yeah. I grew up in Arcadia, which is. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Um. My dad was actually pulled over and mistaken for Richard Ramirez. They, it wow. was before they knew who he was. They just had a, a, like a general description, and my dad matched the description, and so they had him on the hood of his car. And, and holy uh, shit! They were searching his car, and they're like, "There's nothing in here." He's like, "I'm a newspaper delivery guy," and they're like, "You better get home. There's a killer out right now." Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. What an intense time. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I was born, it sounds horrible to say, but murder and death have always been like a part of my life, just from the stories that I was told from a very young age, up and, you know, into the movies that my, you know, like I would, I would find my dad's faces of death VHSs and watch them when I was like four years old. So, I mean, so I just, I had, you know, death has always been a part of just four okay yeah what i what i am you know it's like okay you know yeah (laughs) wow that's interesting so your first experience with death was being a little kid and seeing those movies or those yeah yeah that was definitely those like uh i remember my mom walked in one time and she's like what what do you have my son watching? You know, she was like, Oh yeah. And yeah. my dad thought it was like no big deal. He was like, What's you know, what's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. Wild times. Yeah. Were you do you remember how that how you felt about that as a little kid? Were you like scared or curious or just like, huh? Yeah. It was it was a mix of fear and curiosity. It was like because a lot of people would see like you know michael myers or jason and that's their first encounter with like oh somebody being murdered 
when you see somebody dying for real yeah. at a young age, it kind of just desensitizes you like in a one broad sweeping motion. It's not like, oh, I'm traumatized and I re- I recognize I'm feeling these things right now. You're little. You're yeah. still very, you know, plastic in, in your brain. And so it's just like, oh, wow, that doesn't affect me anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you uh, don't get squeamish at gory movies or... No. Horror movies don't bother you at all. No. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you believe happens when you die? Do you believe in some kind of afterlife? Well, okay. I don't believe necessarily that in any, like, in any religious regard, like any afterlife or anything. Mm -hmm. However, I read an article a few months ago that kind of gave me an entirely new perspective on everything. This Canadian guy was in his late 80s and he was having seizures Mm -hmm. and he was at the hospital and they hooked him up and they were monitoring his brain waves. And in the middle of this, he had like a stroke or a heart attack and died. Okay. And one of the doctors had the brilliant idea. They're like, he was hooked up to the EEG or the EKG or whatever machine it was, right? I said, yeah, they go analyze his brain waves right before and right after death like let's see what happens because it's you don't really ever have that experience like oh let right. me hook you up to a machine so you can die i mean read yeah. your brain waves it's you really know? hard to tell when exactly. it's gonna happen yeah, yeah yeah exactly so they read his brain waves and his gamma waves are off the chart right before death as hmm. death occurs and then right after death and gamma waves are responsible for memory recall and and basically what causes you to dream. So they're saying uh-huh. right before he died, he was hit with a rush of memories. Like yeah. literally his life passed before his eyes. And so it got me thinking about it. And it's like, well, time, I guess, in different experiences, time could be perceived different ways. And yeah. right before you're dying... Yeah, right before you're dying, it that could be your eternity. If you have a mm. life filled with loved ones and happiness and good good memories, then if yeah. those memories are rushing through your brain before you die, that might seem like an eternity of just those memories. Yeah. But if you're a terrible person and you're, all your memories are hurting people and doing terrible things, then guess what you're stuck thinking about for what seems like an eternity? Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, so I, I that's, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna claim that's what happens. But I was thinking, like that, that could be what happens. You know, I don't know yeah. what happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I grew up Catholic, and I'm not, um, <laughs> I'm not religious at all anymore of any kind. I'm an agnostic. I would say, borderline atheist, but mostly agnostic. Um, and. I've thought often about like, where do people come up with this idea of hell or this idea of heaven or this idea that there even would be an afterlife? Um, And some I've done, uh, we talked on Scatterbrain about um, near-death experiences and what people describe is so detailed and interesting. And it makes me wonder if that flood of, gamma waves you were talking about yeah in these people's experiences did that happen and like was that experience like a dream or um yeah 
something like that. And and it, and I've pondered often, like, is that why historically people talk about hell or Dante writing the Inferno, you know, or things like that? Um, you know, is that where people think that is? Yeah. That they were in this state, right? And they're like, oh, my God, it was torture, you know, all this stuff or or something like that. You know, like just from this is kind of veering off course, but from when I was younger, I smoked salvia. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm familiar. Okay, yeah. yeah. I never yeah. Uh, tried it myself, but I've, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so those hallucinations are so valid. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, when your brain tells you this is reality, guess what? That's reality. Yeah. So in that dream state, as off the wall and wacky and just throwing pieces of your past together to form an image of something cohesive. They, you know, they come out of it with all these details and it's like, well, it's because it's literally things that your brain has stored for years. And that's why you're privy to all those details. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but it just seems like, it seems like a, you know, a logical step, but. Yeah. I mean, I've had some pretty intense experiences on psychedelics and stuff like that, that. I could see how it changes your perspective and like these visualizations that seem real are real to you, you know, (laughs) do you, um, I I think I already know the answer to this because I uh, heard you talk on scatterbrain, but uh, I ask everybody, do you believe in ghosts? Yeah. I mean, like I told them, I'm one of those people who's very skeptical about it, but I've experienced things that it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, there's no other explanation for this than something supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's what I think. I think too many people have experiences. It's, it's just like with aliens. I feel like people don't go around saying these stories because they know, like, Everyone's going to be like, oh, you're crazy. Oh, you know this or you get stigmatized or you get a reputation. You know, there's a lot of negative um, like, I don't know, societal views if you believe it. Um, But yeah, experience is everything. It sounds like you guys had some intense experience. Yeah. The experiences that I've had were like so off the wall and so like in your face that it's like how do you deny that how do you attribute that to anything else but something trying to get your attention yeah yeah well i don't know if i had this opportunity to tell this story on uh, the scatterbrain podcast but my nephew when he was a baby like Mm -hmm. a, a very like like maybe two years old he would talk to somebody in the hallway at hit it in his, his place with him and his mom, you know, my, my sister. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was always asking, like, who are you talking to, baby? And he'd point up at the roof and he'd, he'd babble. Oh. How, how old was he? Like, little? He was, like, two. Oh, okay, okay. So she was like, okay, you know, well, he could finally talk. And she pulls out this box from Oklahoma from before he was born and she pulls out a picture of my grandma and grandpa and he points right to my grandpa and goes, grandpa, who's been dead long before Wylan was born. Wow. And my sister goes, how do you know who that is, Wylan? He goes, he plays with me in the hallway. What? That's trippy. Yeah. I mean, 
I've always thought kids definitely are more aware of things than we are. You, I've heard other stories of kids seeing stuff and talking about stuff. And it's always like, it's always creepy, but that's a direct, like he was able to identify yeah. the, and it's like, it has to be a ghost. What else would that be? He was dead. He literally died like two years oh. before Wylan was born. Wow. Yeah. That's like, it's really, um, it makes you like look around and go like, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I'm like, sorry, mom. <laughs> if you can see me, sorry. <laughs> um, amazing. That's creepy. It like gives me the like, heebie-jeebies a little but not in a scary way um yeah I don't think I've ever I've definitely felt presence or things like that before I've definitely um I had some weird experiences uh relating to my mom's death and my mom had had some weird experiences relating to her father's death my grandfather um so yeah it's one of those things where I feel like Yes, I believe that there could be ghosts. I, I'm like you. I'm like, you know, like seeing it is what makes me believe it. You know, like sometimes I think if I came back as a ghost, I would just fuck with people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? If I could the like fun to le- be had. <laughs> levitate, a- oh, shit, <laughs> like levitate a water <laughs> bottle around the room just to, you know, just to really stick it to them. <laughs> <laughs> I would straight up fuck with people. All right. So let me move along here. So do you have a story um, about someone who you know who died that you'd like to tell? Now, this could be something funny or, you know, just a happy memory or something that maybe that bugged you about that person. Uh, and now that they're gone, you can say it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh I know that I never knew him, but my uncle, um, he had a really bad spell of luck before he died. He died back in the early 80s, and he just had a lot of health problems before that. And my mom would hear him talking in his room, and she would go over to his room and open his door, and he'd would have he be in his wheelchair with his back to her, just talking to the wall. Hmm. And she'd be like, Joe, what are you doing? Like, oh, dad's talking to me. And their dad died when when they were 10. Is this and the same grandfather? No, that's a step-grandpa. That, my, the one that my nephew saw was my step-grandpa. Okay, okay. Yeah. For a second, I was like, okay, this guy is like... Is everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's he's got something to say, you know? Like, it makes you... Okay, no, so... so- so my mom and my uncle's biological dad apparently would visit my my uncle and basically tell him like, okay, it's coming soon. You're gonna be you're gonna be coming soon. Like it's it's wow. you're not gonna be here much longer. And so he was telling my mom's mom that like, oh yeah, dad said I'm gonna be dying soon. You know, pretty much just like he 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 had accepted it. Like this yeah. is happening. Yeah. And so after he died, my mom 
who had just had my sister, my older sister, um, she hears my sister crying and she wakes up and she hears my uncle's wheelchair squeaking down the hallway. And she just says, thanks, Joe, and goes back to sleep, not thinking about it. And when she wakes up, she's like, Joe's been dead for a couple weeks now. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> dang. But, yeah, you guys so, are like haunted people. Yeah. No, my mom's family, I think it's just part of being creepy Italians. Like, oh, I was, so- that's funny. I was just going <laughs> to ask you, are you, what kind of, are you Sicilian or? Yeah. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. you get it. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder sometimes, is that because of the, there's a weird like spirituality. um, And it's not like, I wouldn't call it real. There, yes, like Italians are religious. They tend to be. But like, there's something else to that. Maybe it's it's because we grew, our ancestors were like, on this island of, with a volcano being taken over by everybody left and right and having to adapt and adjust to everything that they had such a connection to their history. But I think yeah. it's the inherent Catholicism in us. It's just like mm. the weird, creepy guilt. <laughs> yeah. Catholicism is pretty brutal. You know, I think about that as a kid, how, um, when I went for communion or when I went to church, right, the the church I went to had like these blood red carpets and it's all dark wood. Everything was like really dark and they had wood carvings of the stations of the cross throughout the room, right? And it's very much over and over like Jesus being beaten and dragged through the streets and stabbed and bleeding and his corpse or his almost dead body, you know, hanging in front of the room on the cross. And I remember when um, the, the ritual would start and they would have everyone come up and they would give them the cup of the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. And as a little kid, I thought that it was real. I was like, and you know, they don't let little, little kids until you're like in second grade do communion. And so I was like, I thought my parents were like drinking blood and eating a piece of Jesus, like a literal chunk of that little circle of Jesus. <laughs> you monsters. I mean, yeah, I was like, you know, I, I was little and I was very concerned with going to hell. Um, and I was just like, this doesn't seem right. This eating like how, also I thought like, how is there still a piece? <laughs> Like this how guy's been passed around so much. How is there still a piece? Like, oh wow, you know, like and I and you know, when you're little, like you don't I was like thinking like we must be the only church for Jesus, you know, that because we must have <laughs> they must have cut his body into all these tiny pieces. So I I I don't even know how I got here to this <laughs> to this topic now we're on cannibalism which my co-host tells me is a i keep going back to it <laughs> i was like Dude. i love the topic of cannibalism to be perfectly honest with you it is the, one of the most weird things in all of the human lexicon of weirdness it's not that weird 
It's been happening for thousands of years. Actually, have you been to the Museum of Us in San Diego? Yes. Okay. They have a cannibal exhibit. Did you see it? I believe I did years ago. Oh, not ye- not years ago, but like maybe five years ago. Okay, it's pretty it's pretty interesting how yeah that's a common theme throughout history. There's yeah, been a lot of cannibal, even like the Christian wars that happened. Sometimes they would take their captured enemies, like if they captured a um, you know like a high ranking officer or something, they would cut them up and eat them in front of their enemies to make them scared. <laughs> like you've heard, of course, of Dracula, Vlad, yeah. the real Vlad the Impaler, who yeah. is putting Lining heads on people up on stakes for 10 miles outside of his palace just to let everyone know this is what you're going to get if you mess with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that I'm studying human anatomy, I know there's actually like a kind of perfect hole. <laughs> In the bottom of the skull for, for that. Oh, yeah. Foramen magnum. Oh, well then. <laughs> yeah, literally, foramen means a hole in a bone, specifically. Magnum, you know, a big hole. Okay, so we got super off track somehow. I don't know where. The, uh, so your uncle's story is really interesting. Yeah. It seems like your relatives. Now, the other thing I think, okay, so I'm going a little bit back to ghosts. Um, it seems you have a family history of ghostiness. Yeah. Yeah. So it might be a good idea to start thinking about what you will do as a ghost. <laughs> Should you end up um, being able to cross that veil backwards? Maybe, yeah. Maybe pick your haunting zones ahead of time. Well, I can tell you this, and I don't know if uh, I doubt there's any validity to it, but like anything, when you practice something, you become better at it and it becomes finer honed, you know, you know, finely honed. Yeah. When I was working at the Vista Target uh, and working in the back room and having like ghost experiences pretty much every night, Mm-hmm. It got to the point where I felt like uh, when people say, like, oh, there's a bad energy in this room. And you're like, oh, what did this person know? I was feeling those energies. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so you're like, a little empathic as well. Because it was, it was, I was dealing with it every single day. And so it was like, and if I'd walk into a room and just be like, oh, there's no activity in here. Like, nice. Like, you know, it was, it was just, it was finally I could relax. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So you, do you experience that often? Well, no, because I haven't dealt with anything in so many years. Like, uh, I would say the last time I had any kind of paranormal experience was like 2013. Oh, and wow. So- okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, since then, nothing really, nothing really drastic. One thing happened in like 2017 that I couldn't explain, but I just told myself, I imagined that and just moved on. (laughs) Uh, What was it? I walked into my house. Uh Nobody was home. And the last maybe two weeks, I had had this really uncomfortable feeling Mm-hmm. And my ex-wife had even said, do you get this weird feeling in the house? And I'm like, yeah, I do. 
And she's like, I get that feeling too. I don't like it. It's like there's someone else here. And it's like, yeah, I get that feeling too. that's creepy. So then I'm alone in the house. I walk in, I close the door and a woman's voice goes, hello, from upstairs. And I just stop. And I'm like, hello? And no one responds. And so I go upstairs and no one's upstairs. And obviously my ex-wife's car wasn't there. She wasn't there. But I was like, I had to have imagined that. There's <laughs> no way that some disembodied vo voice of a woman just called hello from upstairs. <laughs> you know? Is it, it's just a, a house? There's no connected, like no apartment? No, no, it was just a house. Oh, that's so creepy. It's creepy, but it's also like, like, did you feel like threat threatened? Like, did the hairs on the back of your neck stand up or? When I lived in Hemet, I felt threatened when I had ghost experiences. When at the place in Oceanside where I was living, I didn't feel threatened. I just felt like there was somebody who shouldn't be there who was there. It was like, you don't belong here. Mm. Like, you think you belong here. You don't belong here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, like, it was like I was sharing the house. It was just very, it was a weird feeling. Could be someone in a parallel universe or. No kidding. Like a, like an alternate dimension, right? That where, uh, what is it? Where sheets were stacked on top of each other. Yeah in parallel dimensions and it's almost like i don't know i've thought that about ghosts too like maybe there is a different dimension we go to when we die exactly um, we and don't it's know. not you know the what we describe as an afterlife is like leveling up right maybe you're just leveling <laughs> to the next dimension um and we're all cuboidal or something <laughs> we're like lego people in the exactly. next dimension <laughs> We're all pixelated. We're like, I no, guess this... we don't have to worry about eating and shitting. <laughs> no, I think about that, like, uh, that thing, like, I saw it on, like, a, a creepy internet thing years ago where it's like, whenever things really quiet, if you listen, you can hear them talking. But once you hear them talking, you can hear what they're saying. Once you hear what they're saying, then you can see them. But be warned, because once you see them, they can see you. Oh. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, Ugh, I didn't mm. want that in that in that house. I didn't like how, I didn't like the fact that it felt like we had roommates. Yeah. Where it was like, it was like, I don't want to know about you. I don't want you to know about me. I don't yeah. want you here. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like un uninvited guests. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Hmm. Okay, so I may ask more questions about ghosts later, but uh, for <laughs> now, does the prospect of death or dying um, inspire your life in some way? Uh, as an example, some people like the prospect of dying makes them have a bucket list of things they want to do before they die. Or some people are like, um, you know, like they want to have some kind of a legacy or something. I am on the opposite side of that spectrum. I'm like, I would say, like, I'm like a realistic nihilist in the sense where it's like, I don't have any hope or expectation that there's anything after this. And so I don't, I'm not striving for a legacy that I ultimately don't care about. You know, it's like, okay. I, I, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like, 
what my life gets filled with though is things that I find worthwhile while I'm here. Mm, you know, yeah. like being a dad, playing my music, mm-hmm. writing my books, like doing that stuff that I enjoy doing. Yeah. I just fill my life with that stuff so that while I'm here, I'm enjoying the time that I have here. But after I'm gone, it's like, I, I don't have any say over that, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. a very good point. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, do you want to be buried or cremated or something else? I would honestly love it if they just chop me up and use me for different pieces and people that can use them and oh, yeah uh, like donating yeah. your body to science exactly i'm a donor mm-hmm. and so it's mm-hmm. like whatever i whatever you don't use just cremate you know i have no use for it i don't i don't want to put hey family who loves me i'm dead now pay five thousand dollars to stick my corpse in the ground that's so like it's expensive come on yeah 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 <laughs> you know? it really is it's pricey um, that's, yeah, that's a good point. I can actually send you some information on donating your body to science. Um, I if you will like. take it. Thank you. Yeah. You know, my, one of my brothers is, a he was a Zen Buddhist, but he believes that when you die, there's nothing. You just, you're dead. There's there you no go. afterlife. It's just gone. And so he's very much, he doesn't have a ton of stuff. Um, he's an artist, so he creates art, um, like, small pieces. Now he's doing a lot of digital art because he's very much like, you know, he's like, oh, there's not going to be anything. So I don't need a lot of stuff, which is almost the opposite of like the Egyptians, right? Who were like, take it with me. <laughs> I'm going to take my wife with me. So you get in here too. And like all the servants. And it's like, like if we, if we were like, oh, I can't die without my loved ones. <laughs> like, the human race would cease to exist. Um, it's, it's the Navinar Johnson approach to death. All I need is this. <laughs> this is all I need. <laughs> okay, so for my next query, uh, do you uh, have a song or songs or an album that you would like to be played at your funeral? Or do you want not to have a funeral? No funeral. Mm. yeah no i'm i've never celebrated my birthday or anything oh, and uh, yeah I'm, I'm just not a big celebratory like to me death it's it's so beautiful like it, mm-hmm. it's it happens to absolute it's an absolute how many absolutes are there in this world there's birth and death birth and death that's literally it everything else is just up in the air just for grabs take it if you can you know yeah but it's like death is just so absolute and so like pay attention to me while i'm speaking you know (laughs) yeah yeah it's true that's right and so it's just like i just respect the hell out of death where it's like i don't see the need to be like oh we need to celebrate this or oh we need to do this about it it's just like it just happens just let it happen you know yeah I've seen someone pass away and it's, um, I think it made me less afraid. Um, and partially because it's like this exhale. Yeah. And it's like this exhale of everything, like nothing, there's no more trouble. I don't know. It just, it's pretty amazing. Um, so 
so no funeral no do you have any requests for your family just mainly that they dispose of your body the way you want it to be i just don't want it to be a hindrance to them just yeah just i just want it out of the way it's like if i if i'm dead my body should not be an issue for anybody you know it should just Mm. be out of the way (laughs) yeah as someone who's gonna be a mortician sure thanks (laughs) (laughs) they still have to uh bring your body to let me think about this if you're gonna donate it to science they have to bring it there so that's it that'll be your process if you're if you choose to do that or if you i think you can choose also like if you're a donor on your driver's license and they can that's a very specific circumstance okay so if you so what the uh what i've learned is if you are a donor and you have some kind of accident where you're brain dead but your organs are still functional they will donate your organs Okay. But I don't think it's your whole body. I think it's whatever they need at the time. I'd, I'll have to look this up. Um, I think it's whatever they need at that moment, like within a proximity. Okay, yeah. For organs to travel while they're alive, right? Because they have to kind of, <laughs> is it past your bedtime? Oh my gosh, so far past, but it's not a big deal, it's fine. <laughs> I apologize. Um, I only have a few more questions that are not um, on the questions I sent you. Um, so, so one of my questions is about your singing. Yeah. Um, is there a demon inside of you that um, <laughs> you're just letting uh, take the reins when when you do that uh, with your voice? <laughs> it's. I, it's just it's just something that I learned I could do when I was like 18 and I was like huh I can do that and just ran with it <laughs> now I acted in theater a little bit when I was in high school I um, have done a lot of not, not professional singing and I think it's a real skill and I think it's something that is um, overlooked a lot in the music world by like classical uh classically trained like opera singers and stuff but in order to do that and like not hurt your vocal cords it seems like there has to be technique involved there definitely is and now we're at the point where like the newer generation of metal vocalists they're not even going in and doing what i was doing it's an entirely different game now where Mm. they have guys like uh I can't remember his name. It's like the Extreme Metal Vocalist Institute mm-hmm. where they teach you all the muscles that are being exercised while you're doing vocals, what's being relaxed, what's being constricted, how to properly use different parts of your throat to close off right. while you're singing. Like they, they're teaching them like, hey, if you want to do this in the next 40 years, this yeah. is how you have to do it. Yeah. You know? Do you drink a lot of hot tea and stuff or... I do, but I will say that I'm a very lazy vocalist and <laughs> that I don't practice my vocals very often unless we're playing a show. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you kind of, you get, you're reserving it for like performance. And so you're not That's like... what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I, I'm into it. 
Thank you very much. I um, live in Los Angeles, and so it's great driving music um, for <laughs> the rage that I feel sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, I think, to, I think it's, there's a healthiness of tapping into that side of things. It's it's very cathartic. Like you go to a death metal show and everyone's got their arms around each other and they're all laughing and having a good time. And yeah. then they're all lost it pounding on each other. And it's like it's it's just very animalistic and just get your anger out and then feel great afterward, you know? Yeah, well, I haven't been to a death metal show. I've met metal people. <laughs> it's funny to say that, like like you picture robots. Um <laughs> there is that group that's like I forget what they're called, where it's robots. Um but anyway, the people I've met in metal have been amazing and very kind. Um, I think there's like a, like a, an outward outward view of people who listen to metal that they're like aggressive, and yeah, like aggro. But that's not true. I think there's a healthy release of of like aggressive um, energy <laughs> that maybe is making them like docile. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, any death stuff you want to talk about before we wrap it up? Uh, let me think. I mean, no. Now, there's death stuff in your book. I I have listened to some of your uh, chapters that are like your descriptive. Uh, technique is very I'm trying to think of how to describe it it's a little disturbing and graphic and almost like like grotesque but not in a like I'm not disgusted or whatever but it's like very visceral and (laughs) um yeah Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's really interesting to me. Um Yeah, I mean I basically what what I've found that I do with my writing is that I'll have basic ideas and I'll write them out and then for each idea I'll just elaborate on it until I can't elaborate anymore and I found mm-hmm. that it gives you it, it gives you a very descriptive like it makes it so that if you're wanting to engross yourself in the story and be part of it, you can, you can be part of the story because you know, every aspect of the universe that you're in, you know? Yeah. And is this, is any of it, I mean, is it based on your experiences and your like life or is it just like kind of stories that come to mind? It's basically what it is, is when I was younger, I was homeless. And so I write about the freaks and the perverts and just the awful people that I met at the shelters that I would stay at and stuff. And when I say that, I don't want it to sound like I think that homeless people are horrible people. Yeah. I'm talking about the horrible people I met at the shelters. There were Mm. plenty of awesome people I met at the shelters, but my stories aren't about awesome people. My stories are about grotesque, awful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just focus on those people. Okay. Yeah, and so a lot of it just comes from what I experienced, and then living in Hemet. Hemet's a sideshow sometimes. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm gonna wrap this up. You got it. Are you good? Yeah. Thank All you right. so much for having me on. This was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for joining me. This was great. Um, 
if people want to find your book, uh, your band or or you, where can they find you? Let's see. For the book, look up, uh, go on Amazon and mm-hmm. search The Eastern Outskirts. That's the name of the book. It'll pop up. There's a second one that's on the way. I've already written it. I'm just getting it all finished up. Okay. Um, awesome. Yeah. And then as far as the band stuff goes, just uh, Google Paroxysmal Butchering, P-A-R-O-X-Y-S-M-A-L. S-M-A-L. Yeah. Butchering. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening to Death is Everything. Please, if you like us, rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on a few different social media sites. You can find us on Instagram at D period, I period, E period, underscore cast. And on Twitter at Death Every Cast. If you're interested in interviewing or being a guest, go ahead and send an email to hello at deathiseverything.com and check out our website, deathiseverything.com. We have merchandise. We have all the episodes from this podcast and episodes I have been a guest on other podcasts as well. See you later, Land of the Living.